You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on a and Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Good evening. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered for Thursday, July 11th, 2019. Baltimore State's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, is calling for the decriminalization of marijuana on a federal level. She's here to tell us why. A black woman was forced by flight attendants to wear a blanket to get on the plane. No, she was not nude. She'll tell her story. Is, is Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi deliberately targeting the freshman House members of color? AOC and uh, representing members of the squad says yes. Senator Kamala Harris has a plan to close the rape kit backlog. And the D.C. mayor says Trump's 4th of July celebration has emptied the terrorism security fund. Plus, as you can imagine and expect, another crazy ass white person. So uh, I'm Greg Carr sitting in the seat for Big Brother Roland Martin, who's on travel right now, going somewhere around the world. And it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered, as he would say, let's go. testimony before a congressional panel yesterday, Baltimore State's attorney Marilyn Mosby said that her city is a prime example of how the war on drugs has failed. She joins us now to talk about why she believes that marijuana should be decriminalized on a federal level. Uh, State's attorney Mosby, are you there? I am here. How are you today? Well, better, better now that you've joined us. And uh, thanks, as always, for your continuing work on behalf of not only our people, but all the citizens of Baltimore and for the example. Um, so you were here in the district to testify before Congress, this subcommittee, uh, on this issue of decriminalizing marijuana and uh, doing it on a federal level. Could you walk uh, our viewers through 
why not only this is an important issue, but how you're distinguishing between what you're already doing on the ground there in Maryland and what you uh, really want the feds to do. So I was honored um, to be invited to the subcommittee of the judiciary, um, and it's the Crime and Terrorism and Homeland Subcommittee. Um, and it was chaired by Karen Bass of California, um, who convened this hearing, and it was about racial justice, marijuana laws in America, and racial justice and the need for reform. And I was honored because it gave me an opportunity to kind of talk about the discriminatory enforcement of laws against poor black and brown people. We know that this war on drugs that Congress signed off on has really been a war on black poor, black and brown people. And essentially it has been at the disservice and the disadvantage to our communities. And so I was given the opportunity to address Congress. I had several sort of proposals. And one of those proposals is I'm advocating for not just the decriminalization, but the legalization of marijuana federally. And that's for a number of reasons. Right now, federally, it's against the law. The Controlled Substances Act says that you cannot be, it's a, it's a Schedule One narcotic right next to heroin, which in and of itself is a problem because it's not as you know um, dangerous as that type of drug. But it's a Schedule One narcotic, and you have 11 states who have already legalized um, marijuana, and that's a conflict of interest. And furthermore, the issue that I saw in this was that we have to allow the states to regulate tax and to be able to make the determination about what to do with, with marijuana laws. And the reason I say this is because with the regulation of marijuana, it diminishes the black market or the distribution of marijuana. We know that distribution of drugs fuels violence and you look at my city, um, you know, unfortunately, Baltimore has been, is, is, is woven within the fabric of the United States. And yet we're lead in per capita homicides. We lead in, in, in the number of opioid deaths, you know, and, and, and we're one of the most impoverished cities in the entire country. And a lot of that has to do with this failed war on drugs. And so what I went up to Congress to say was, you all are somewhat responsible for these federal and financial incentives that you have provided to the states to enforce these laws in discriminatory ways. We know that nationally that you as an African-American or a black person, you are four times more likely to be arrested for the possession of marijuana than a white person. That's problematic because we know that the use and consumption of marijuana among black people and white people are the same. And yet, and still, even after the decriminalization of marijuana, in the city of Baltimore, 95% of the citations that they issue for um, marijuana for 10 grams or less are going to black people. 42% of the citations that they're issuing city-wide is going to one out of nine police districts, which represents 9% of the population within the city and is 95% black and disproportionately poor. So when you look at those stats, what that tells you is that there has been discriminatory enforcement that has had collateral consequences, not just on individuals, but on whole communities. And recognizing that, what I went to Congress to say was that you now have a responsibility, understanding that this was a failed war on drugs, to reinvest not only in individuals through reentry services and ensuring that we have mass expungement and vacature and consider the resentencing that we've treated this, what should be a public health crisis as it criminal, criminalized it. But I also argue that we should also be reinvesting in our communities in ways in which we're the ones that have, have suffered the most at the hands of these failed policies. Well, you haven't, uh, you certainly haven't waited on Congress to act. Uh, um, seems to me that you're following in a long tradition of black state's attorneys in Baltimore. I remember uh, when Kurt Schmoke, who was, I think, at that time the youngest uh, state's attorney elected in Maryland, really began that conversation about how uh, legalizing uh, some use of drugs. But you, uh, in January, covered here on Roland's show, uh, you, you said, I'm going to stop prosecuting folks for this possession and then you've even gone into court and asked that records be expunged that the number of years between the time you've been convicted of something and the expungement be shrunk I mean so you're not waiting on Congress to act are you 
no, I'm not going to wait on Congress and I'm not going to wait on the state to act either. And and that's that's the point, right? Like in January, I came out, they haven't changed the possession laws and they have not ensured that they're making that investment in our communities. They're giving me issues about vacating the 5,000 convictions. But I came out in January and said, and considering this discriminatory enforcement, as a state's attorney, I can never be complicit in the discriminatory enforcement against uh, poor black and brown people of laws against poor black and brown people. And so I'm not going to prosecute the possession of marijuana, Kate, uh, marijuana. And we, I'm going to move to vacate the convictions of over 5,000 individuals. And I argue that it was violative of the 14th amendment for this discriminatory enforcement, the equal protection clause. And the courts have come back and said, no, you don't have a legal mechanism to be able to vacate these convictions. So I'm still fighting, which is one of the reasons why I went to Congress to say, hey, we need federal incentives to make sure that the states put in their, you know, their, ensure that they are fighting for the individuals that have been most impacted. The fact that in the state of Maryland, there's an expectation that you have to wait four years before you can get your, your, your record expunged for the possession of marijuana when it's no longer even a crime for, for 10 grams or less is ridiculous. And so, you know, that's what Congress has the power to be able to do, is to, to incentivize the state through their financial means. They incentivize the states through their financial means when they enforce these laws. You have, you know, grants and, and task forces that were implementing these laws against poor black and brown people. Now it's incumbent on them to also incentivize the states to right the wrongs of the past. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember election night, 2012. Uh, we were covering the stuff at Howard, and I was in a auditorium full of students, and uh, they saw the marijuana leaf come up on the screen, and everybody started cheering, realizing that Colorado had become a state that had uh, legalized marijuana for recreational use. Um, and of course, we know that Washington State did that as well, as you said. But you made a Tenth Amendment argument before Congress the other day. For the viewers who might not be clear about the relationship between the states and federal government when it comes to these laws, here in D.C., for example, it's decriminalized, but don't be called it a federal park, like national parks, because that's where federal law occurs. Why did, why did you bring up the Tenth Amendment for folks who might not understand the relationship between state law and federal law when it comes to this issue? Well, because this is this is the distinction, right? And this is why I'm saying that there should be legalization, not just decriminalization of marijuana. We have to legalize it because the federal government right now is saying that it's illegal. However, there are some certain states, as you've mentioned, Colorado, um, you know, Washington state, where they're saying it is legal, right? And that in and of itself is a conflict. And it, it becomes a conflict and issue when it comes to banking issues for those that are in the industry, the marijuana industry. And what we're saying is that we, we can't have, technically, the federal government can go into the state of, of Colorado and arrest people, even though people are complying with state law. And so that in and of itself is a conflict. And what we're saying and what I argued is that we need to eliminate that conflict and the federal government shouldn't have oversight it should be up to the states. We should treat marijuana the same way that we treat alcohol, allow the states to regulate and to tax. It, it's, it's better for the states to be able to control from, for, from a public safety and consumer uh, safety perspective, to be able to make a determination as to, you know, what restrictions they're going to put on marijuana, what, what are the, you know, dispensaries and, and young people having to come in and to show IDs. You have your quality control testing of the substance so that there's no, it diminishes the black market. Right now in the black market, marijuana is being laced with other sort of substances, right? We want to diminish that. And that's what we're saying. And that's what I was arguing to, to, the, um, to Congress is that, hey, we have to ensure that we don't have these conflicts um, that are violative of the 10th Amendment. Well, State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, every time we see you, you know, always thank you for continuing to fight on behalf of us. And uh, as a proud graduate of Tuskegee uh, University, ah! well, uh, you're a graduate of Tuskegee. My mom was born about 30 minutes from there. Every time I no. think about it, you know, no question. Ain't just ain't you, you know. It's T-U, you know. Mother Tuskegee, as we say. So <laughs> th thanks again, uh, State's Attorney Mosby. And please keep us informed as the fight moves on and, uh, and keep the fight And up. I anticipate and I hope they will have bipartisan support and we get the kind of you know, federal incentives and, and, and resources that are needed for the states to comply and to rectify what has been a wrong against poor black and brown people. So thank you for you, your support, and, and, and I appreciate you. We're here always. Thank you again. All right. All right. Yes. Yeah, so we, we've heard from State's Attorney uh, Marilyn Mosby.
And we're going to turn now to, uh, to our panel, our regular panel, including uh, Quadricus Driscoll, who is a adjunct professor at the George Washington University, and Erica Savage-Wilson, host of Savage Politics. Well, not only decriminalizing, but legalizing marijuana. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Rodriguez or who's jumping? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'm very curious about is because this has not been really parceled out for states to settle, um, what is the communication between different states' attorneys about how to handle um, those individuals that are being um, incarcerated, being arrested? Um, because I'm still believing that black and brown folks are still paying the penalty oh, no um, for being um, users or sellers of a drug that has definitely enriched our non-people um, of color community. And also, there are degrees that people can now begin to uh, pursue in the study of marijuana. So as these you know, different wealth um, opportunities come available, I'm just wondering the conversation between states' attorneys about how um, we can kind of like right the wrongs that still are felt among black and brown communities. That's very interesting. That's it. That's going to inject itself properly into this presidential election, oh, yeah. election yeah. cycle. Um, Quadricus, I'm thinking, Prof, about some of the things that happened in California. I know after uh, it was legalized, for example, or decriminalized, mm -hmm. in, in the Bay Area, for example, these very people who have been arrested for drug sales right. now don't have the capital to rent a storefront, to get a loan, mm -hmm. to get into the now legitimate business of selling marijuana. Now, we heard Attorney Mosby right, right. talk about this. What do you, where do you see the future of this going? Or is there a future even for our people who used to be hand-to-hand -hand herb hustlers and well, now they can't get out here and get a license to do it legitimately? I mean, it's, it's dare I say, it's the same shit done over again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it always starts where we are poor black and brown people are always behind the eight ball. Yes. Because now what we do know is that we have our white brothers and sisters who are making bank off of this. Right. The former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, Come on, is a senior policy advisor on. for one of the largest cannabis companies yes. in the country. I would have suspected that alcohol was his, uh, was his drug of choice, but I guess that's for consumption, not profit. We talk about anyway, I'm out here. Right. They talk about morals and society, right? Christ drank wine, I'm sure they tell you that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is, our People have, un, you know, unfortunately and for various reasons, have had to use marijuana to survive and, and to sell, including members of my own family, dare I say, right? No question. Uh, and so here we are now talking about decriminalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. There have been a large number of black and brown people who have been jailed in prison exactly right, right. for this. And now it's a huge money maker. I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be on the stock exchange soon, right? Well, well let so, me ask you, do you have any thoughts about the fact that our brother Sean Carter seems to have jumped into this pool? Uh, Jay-Z Jay Jay is right, now absolutely. in this. I mean, I mean, where should we come down on this? I, well, I, I think it is um, most incumbent that black and brown folks, as, as you just mentioned, brother, um, are afforded the opportunities right. to make the money that really has been paid with time, um, and being well, how you do, that, how you do that absolutely exactly. and so I so I think like for folks that um, have attained a certain wealth status mm -hmm. to go in and kind of clear the field the same way we've seen them um, and I'm saying them meaning like um, folks like you know you mentioned Sean Carter um, to go in and kind of clear the field the same way they have done with when they've seen oh. injustices done with other families right. to also clear the field in that way because he himself, you know, he's talking, rapped yeah. about, you know, I'm a, a loyal fan oh. of his about, you yeah. know, you right. selling drugs right. no and using that money in order to um, bring his uh, career to fruition. So I think that clearing the field in that way so that black and brown folks who have paid the penalty with time away from their family, mm -hmm. harsh pr prison sentences are able to benefit legally right. by way of having dispensaries, have those storefronts that are set up like, you know, was demonstrated in mm -hmm. Oakland to be able to go out and pioneer those spaces. Mm -hmm. and, and just to add to that furthermore, I mean, I, I, I teach part-time at George Washington, but I'm a healthcare lobbyist by day. Yes, sir. And so yes, sir. we also need to. And we heard her talk about the opioid right. crisis. The opioid right. crisis. That's and exactly the medical right. benefits yes, sir. that are associated yes, sir. with moderate amount of cannabis or marijuana use. Absolutely. Right? When you look at chronic conditions like psoriasis, mm. which is a not a skin disorder, it's an autoimmune, right? When you look at certain psychological disorders, mental illness, it is there are studies that have done and show that marijuana is a soothing, calming effect when done, of course, in moderation yeah. and with the proper dosage, yeah. right? So there, there's, there are multiple reasons. 
to so, decriminalize. So it sounds like maybe, you know, our colleagues and friends at Meharry Medical College, Morehouse School of Medicine, Howard University Medical School, we're going to need some research right. studies yes. to get yes. behind yes. Black institutions right. need to be thinking a little bit more strategically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Particularly as they're, you know, the atten um, and, and they're not gaining the numbers that they need to mm -hmm. in terms of funding. I totally agree with you, Dr. Carr, that mm. these are different avenues that they can look, Absolutely. can really expand and, and really gain. Well, let's more. get after it. And right. like you said, we can make some money. I know one of the supporters of Roland Martin Unfiltered, you know, he's some sisters who getting us to invest in some hemp farming. So uh, pay attention to these ads mm. as we see on Roland Martin Unfiltered. So um, let's go to our next story. Uh, we've got some, uh, I would say people of color, but since white people have color too, we'll just say some non-white congresswomen who are in the uh, United States Congress who uh, seem to be engaged in a bit of a dust-up. New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our sister from the Bronx, uh, has accused House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of singling out newly elected women of color, newly elected non-white women, I'd say, in the Democratic Party. She's referring to the four freshmen who are known as the squad. All of them, uh, one way or another, have been interviewed, either covered on this show or talked to directly. And that, of course, is Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts, Ilhan Omar, of course, of Minnesota, and Rashida Tlaib, who uh, took over John Kanye's seat coming out of Detroit and Michigan. Pelosi has had, of course, denied it. Of course she has. And wants to keep the family business in the family. What do you all make of not only these four known as the squad, and I tell you, I, I love their style. You can't, can't, whatever else. You may not agree with them politically, but they are not going to be quiet. How, I mean, what is Pelosi's... Uh, play here. What's her What's her strategy of now beginning to heighten these things and say, well, there are only four votes. Uh, they don't represent anybody as though only four people voted for them in their districts. I mean, what what is Pelosi trying to accomplish by taking them on in the public sphere? Pelosi is trying to maintain power. Okay. She is the Speaker of the House. She is the leader of the Democratic Party, right? Mm -hmm. Facto or de jure, de facto. She is trying to keep her base in line and she's not going to be upstage by a 20-some-year-old who can't afford to pay her rent in, right, in D.C. Yes. Fundamentally. And she is trying to make sure that her caucus stays in line. And in some ways, I kind of agree with her. I think AOC, is, I, 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 I appreciate the spirit that she brings to Congress. I, I appreciate the four women in the spirit that they bring in Congress. No question. But I also think she's out of control. In what way? I, I think she is out, we of say out of control. Out of control. The Green New Deal is out of control. <laughs> Policy is out of control. I think. I'll say this. So, um, having read the op-ed that um, Maureen um, Dow did in New York Times, it's, say Pelosi, some more about that, that to the viewers because okay. they may not know. So, if anybody, for your reading pleasure, I would encourage you, um, implore you to please pull up um, a piece that was done over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi with Maureen um, Dowd of the New York Times. It was staged. They were sitting down, you know, eating, mm. popping chocolates, um, just having a, a genteel, you know, kind of setting. And so it kind of took me back, just framing it, thinking about antebellum, two women sitting mm. on the veranda. This is this is what I got because of the language that was used in talking about. Um, and, and I'm take I take offense to them being called the squad. They are four duly elected representatives that serve their people in the United States Congress. And all you have to do, if you want to see how prepared they ever, ever they are, turn on C-SPAN. Please do. And watch them on financial services. Please do. Watch them on judiciary. Yes. There are no more prepared. No more prepared. I mean, <laughs> but anyways. Four women of color yes. who, are, who were duly elected, who are absolutely speaking truth to power. I applaud and love and champion each and every one of them because Though Speaker Pelosi um, does have the power of the gavel, the only reason she had it is because a group of people, meaning the American people, went to the ballot box, not all Democrats, right. that said, hello, we want a check on this president. Mm -hmm. So since you said oh, that you're going to give that to right. us, then we are going to vote for you to do just that. And she reneged on yeah. that. And right. that, that right. also brought in new people as well, new blood. These women have been running a race for a very, very long time. So while they've only been in Congress for about a year, these women have been activists in their community for many years. Sure. So to not, you know, take, you know, take them away from what they've done since they've been in the House, these women have been doing that type of work 
in the streets. And they're, and they're not the only, this is the interesting, too, interesting, interesting thing about it as well. You know, Lucy McBath is coming out of Georgia. Absolutely. There are a number of two Lauren sisters who are Underwood and Illinois. Right. So there, there are other women who have been so, doing the so, same so thing. Why, so why are these They're not four? making as much noise. Well, well you know, and here's, here's the thing. But I'm not convinced. And I, again, I applaud their work and I love their energy, but I'm just not convinced the, 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 the good noise, right? John Lewis talks about if you're going to fight, Make it a good and you would use John Lewis well, as the I, I, example, I, I, brother. He, 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 <laughs> the most effective member of uh, that's but tongue firmly planted in cheek. But in terms um, of what he does, is he? Is he? Is he now? Okay, I'm not mad. He's a civil war hero. I mean, I'm sorry, civil rights hero. I shouldn't say. If you read that piece prior to the topic that we're specifically discussing, you will see Nancy Pelosi refer to them as these people. You will see the language in there that is very isolating. That is really saying to them, listen, y'all sit down, y'all have a seat. So as to say to a black woman, since I am a black woman and I understand the microaggressions, I understand yeah. the um and, the and Dowd and Pelosi have a relationship. This is this whole distinction between brie and sausage and everything they're talking about in there. Absolutely. But, but fortunately we well, 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 because I'm getting in my ear that we have been joined <laughs> by our big brother. So I think we can go uh, directly to another part of the world and bring into this conversation the host of Roland Martin <laughs> Unfiltered to bring the funk. Is that Roland Martin? It all hey, Greg, what's happening? Brother, you got to loan me that Koofy man and that dashiki. It's good to see you, brother. Good to see you as well. Thanks for holding it down. I'm here in Nassau, Bahamas, of course, a Global United Fellowship. First of all, let me just say this here. Glad y'all are sitting here uh, having this conversation. So uh, uh, I'm here with Bishop Neil Ellis. I'm going to talk to him in just a second. I do want to weigh in on this whole deal here. The reality is this here. Uh, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is absolutely correct. Uh, the Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, she, she needs to watch her tone. Let me be real clear. Tone. White folks have a tendency to talk to black folks a certain way. Talk to people of color a certain way. Uh, and so I think in some ways Nancy Pelosi is jealous of the amount of attention that Ocasio-Cortez is getting as a result of her ascension uh, to Congress. And so she also sort of wants to keep them in place. But the reality is, as I said, they were elected uh, to be the kind of leaders they are being. That's what young bucks do. That's what freshmen are supposed to do. If you look at what happened on the Tea Party side, when you had new freshmen who came in, they were rambunctious. They were the exact same way. They would utilize their power. And so when Nancy Pelosi needs to be very careful, because this is the key, Nancy Pelosi can raise a lot of money. Nancy Pelosi cannot drive folks to the polls. Ocasio-Cortez went to Kansas with uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. They went to places where Democrats have not done well. And so she must be extremely careful because they understand the power of young voters, the power of voices who have not been involved in politics. And that's the mistake that I believe Speaker Pelosi is making when she is so dismissive. She can say, look, I have great respect for all of our members. They're folks with different perspectives. My job as Speaker of the House is to pull all of those vote voices together. She needs the moderates who frankly come from a lot of red districts or red-leaning districts. She needs those progressive voices as well. But I think it is a grave mistake on the part of Nancy Pelosi uh, to be so disrespectful to be so disrespectful and the, the tone that she uses with these freshman members of Congress. And so I'm going to throw those two cents in. We're going to go to a commercial break right now. When we come back, uh, we're going to chat with Bishop Neil Ellis here from the Bahamas about this fellowship, what it means for the future of the black church, that's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in the last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a lot of money in just a few months. Yes, I can. Investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company. And, of course, they are very excited by that. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not better, than the last. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is a cousin to marijuana, uh, of course, and then you, uh, has a higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. 
Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, that changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, and this makes for an incredible investment opportunity. That's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. All right, folks, all you got to do is go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org if you want to get in the game. And if you do so, do it now. Hey, folks, you might recall when American Airlines had to apologize to Tamika Mallory, the activist, uh, for being thrown off of an airplane that led to the NAACP asking folks, black folks, not to not to have caution flying American Airlines. You might remember we were at their national convention last year in San Antonio where the CEO of American Airlines came there uh, to apologize and to announce uh, the uh, training that all American Airlines employees are going to go through. Well, now they have. Another issue, the black woman, a doctor from Houston, uh, was flying, and a couple of flight attendants felt that her attire was uh, improper. They actually asked her to cover up. She took photos of uh, her attire. Folks got a chance to see it. As a result, American Airlines has since apologized to her. Joining us right now is Dr. Tisha Rowe. Doctor, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Uh, glad to have you on the show. American Airlines, American Airlines was supposed to take all their employees through sensitivity training, uh, but here we have more African Americans like yourself uh, who are complaining about uh, again being pulled off uh, by flight attendants. Uh, were you shocked to have these flight attendants question your attire? I was shocked. I was insulted. I was confused. There was absolutely nothing hanging out. Um, I looked at my self front and back in the restroom just prior to boarding the flight and I had no issue with my attire. And so they and so did they give you something to cover up or were you eventually allowed onto the plane wearing what you wore? I had to cover up with a blanket in order to board the plane. Uh, and I assume that was extremely embarrassing to you, having to walk on the plane with a blanket around you, uh, and you're probably looking at other passengers saying, "Why wasn't she? Why did she have to cover up?" Exactly. That's a, exactly what happened. I was humiliated. I spoke to another passenger who was also traveling with her child, um, different body type. She was much thinner than I was. And she looked at my outfit and said, wow, you know, um, your shorts are longer than mine. I, they didn't say anything to me. Do you do you believe that, again, uh, to your point about body type, that black women being uh, and you have, first of all, were the flight, two flight attendants, were, were they both white? No, they were black. Um, both flight attendants were black. I've gotten that question. So, so, so two black women, well, well, well so two black women, two black flight attendants, question your attire. Absolutely, and we don't know where the question came from. Did it come from the pilot who was Caucasian? Did it the complaint come from a Caucasian passenger? So I think a lot of people want to focus on the race of the flight attendants, which is irrelevant because you have discrimination even within our own communities, you know? If someone's working at a country club, and they happen right. to be African-American, do they treat all of the African-American customers the same as the white? Not necessarily. I mean, how did we as slaves get here? So, Was, she, so the flight attendants never told you where the complaint originated from? Never. Never even told me that there was a complaint, to be honest. What they said was, do you have a jacket? You know, and if we want to just... Assume my attire was inappropriate, which it absolutely was not. Let's say it was inappropriate in their eyes. The way they treated me as a customer, right. irrespective of my attire, was as if I had, as so many people assume, rode on a buddy pass, that I, I was begging for a free ride. They were cold. They were hostile. They were um, demeaning. You know, God forbid someone is actually inappropriate. 
you still would not treat them that way. So Amer racism was uh, so, at play, uh, sexism was at play. It was just ho horrible. So Dr. Rowe, American Airlines apologized to you. What more did they say they're going to do? They have said they're going to do, they're going to refund me, um, which is interesting uh, because I've gotten over and over again, have you been refunded? Have you been refunded? And, you know, based on the questions, I kept checking my bank account looking for this um, refund. The Washington Post told me that American Airlines told them a refund was issued on July 1st, which would have right. been the day following my flight. And I received today a check um, dated July 10th. So there's mm. definitely some discrepancy there, a check that will not well, be cashed. Well, uh, certainly American Airlines has some answers uh, that they need to give and also those flight attendants should also be stating where this complaint originated from because if it came from them they got some they got some questions to answer if it came from a passenger or the pilot they too uh, have some questions to answer as well uh, dr. Rowe, we're certainly glad you could join us to uh, share your uh, experience uh, with this uh, flight and uh, hopefully this will lead to some changes with American Airlines definitely hope so all right dr. Tisha Rowe, we certainly appreciate it thanks a lot have a nice night. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Uh, I am here uh, in Nassau, Bahamas, for the 6th Annual Global United Fellowship Conference, the gathering taking place. Presiding bishop uh, is uh, Bishop uh, Neil Ellis, uh, representing uh, churches from around 40 different countries. And he joins me right now. And, uh, Bishop, uh, glad to see you. Uh, looking good here? Well, I'm glad to have you here in the Bahamas. Hey, it, it's better here, they say. <laughs> well, I got to actually just slide this way over here. Sure. So, so let me ask you this here in terms of uh, this is this is six years old. Yes. Uh, you were previously a part of the full gospel yes. Baptist fellowship. Uh, and then there were folks who had issues with you uh, taking over and you said, you know what? Okay, fine. Uh, Y'all can have this party to yourself. <laughs> well, let me just first of all tell you, I have very little to no regrets. The 20 years I spent in full um, all of those years really helped to prepare me for what I'm doing now. Uh, seven years ago, I thought I was going to be uh, ascending to the leadership. It didn't quite work out that way. And um, almost a year later, the Lord led us in this direction. And here we are, five and a half years later, and God has blessed the work uh, tremendously. We started out with 42 churches. Uh, now we are just over 1,400 churches in 42 countries. Uh, one of the issues that jumps out, obviously, that we're now with, that we're still dealing with, uh, is we're different, a, diff a different world. I was a I was sitting in one of the panels uh, that was called Size Doesn't Matter, and all across I know all across the United States, uh, you have pastors who are going away from the large facilities who are now going to multiple smaller facilities uh, to serve the needs of, of of their members because a lot of people aren't interested in driving long distances to one particular church, and so that's now changed how uh, church is now being done. Right. One, one of the things we've, we've spent a lot of time focusing on this week, Ronald, it, Roland, is uh, one, what is a healthy church? And uh, we have to come to grips with the fact that the, ch the culture of the church has changed. And yes, people no longer want to wait in line uh, uh, in the parking lots for an hour trying to get out. The, the whole culture has changed. And so... I would I would almost go as far as to say to you within the next five to six years, uh, the season of the mega church would almost would have come to an end. And first of all, we're only talking about four percent of all churches anyway, so it's not like uh, mega churches com comprise you know half of all churches. It's only four percent. Yeah, the uh, about ninety five percent of all churches in America have less than three hundred people on Sunday morning. Uh, so, uh, and then of course, with the with the birth of streaming, and the networks where people can stay at home and watch watch you live uh, while while you are in service, of course, that does not help to build attendance anyway. Uh, but you know, the 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 goal ought to be getting the message out as uh, uh, not as much as getting the people in. Uh, let's talk about relevance, because I also, when you look at one of the things that we talked about, uh, that uh, uh, Pastor Jamal Bryan and I have had this conversation, he's going to be speaking later tonight, 
that the Black Lives Matter movement, that was the first major movement that existed in the United States that was not led by the black church. Uh, and so therefore, a lot of people, uh, they are turned off by this rigid uh, hierarchy. They're turned off by this rigid view of, of the Bible as well. Do you believe that part of the reason uh, people are not attending church the way they used to is because they don't see the church being fully involved in the social, political, and economic issues that confront them? Well, if you're asking me, quite frankly, if the church is as relevant as I would like to see it, the answer is no. Uh, I think we have to pay attention with uh, the change in times with succeeding generations. And uh, this this particular generation that we're in are driven more and more by projects as opposed to programs. Uh, so if all we're doing is becoming a, a programmatic ministry, they're not going to be attracted to that. And they're not going to stay around that. But if they see you uh, reaching out, outreach and projects and doing things to help your brothers and sisters and the church becomes a more socialized and take a more socialized approach to ministry, you'll have more of this generation participating. So we've got to understand while the message never changes, the method of how we package and deliver the message has to change with the change in times. Uh, earlier today, when you at the news conference, you said that you want to break this uh, spirit of poverty. Uh, explain that to folks who are watching. Unfortunately, uh, Roland, there are too many of our church leaders and our churches who are struggling. And so while they may have an anointing to, to do something and they may have the people to get to get it done, they don't have the resources. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, if God has given us assignment, he has made provision somehow for us to get the resources to fulfill the assignment. What we have to do is tap into the principles that God has laid down for us way back in the days of the scripture. And if we tap into the principles, then I believe we have a greater opportunity of breaking this demon of poverty. And for me, that's what it is, because uh, there's no way you're supposed to have an assignment from God. And the only way you cannot fulfill the assignment is because you lack the financial resources. I believe if God makes uh, gives you a vision, he makes provision, but he's a God of principles. And we've got to go back to scripture and learn how to be driven by the principles as opposed to trying to, to fulfill the mandate by our own skills and intellect. Also, I believe one of the, look, my wife is uh, ordained minister, 24, 25 years uh, now, education minister. And one of the things that, that my experience I've also seen is that part of the problem that you have here is that you have insulated churches where there are internal conversations. Uh, if you ask a lot of pastors, when is the last time they literally took their members out of the church building and actually had them, let's say, target a mile radius around their church? I would dare say more than 90 percent ha uh, haven't done that in a very long time. And I think, again, if people never actually see the body of Christ at work, then there'll be no interest in actually showing up at that church. Yeah. Uh, what I think needs to happen now, Roland, is churches has to uh, uh, develop partnerships within their communities. On my property. We uh, have been interrupted a bit by the satellite feed, so we're going to move from those who are praying for us to some people we should probably be praying for. Crazy ass white people. A, a, a video was posted showing the general manager of a Burger King confronting two old white women after they berated him for speaking Spanish inside the restaurant, since I guess these old white women didn't realize that uh, there is no national official language in America. Well, let's go watch it. Here's what happened. 
white people <laughs> brother <laughs> brother why well it seems like it's always florida but what do you make of that speak american english all right right which is not british english to be sure but i'm not sure they can make the distinction what american, english is, but, well, uh, american english is the stuff that, does, <laughs> that says instead of the telly and the loo and the lift right. says the bathroom and the elevator bro <laughs> i mean the manager was actually on point this is ignorance it's stupidity it's it's bigotry it's it's we've seen this before you know, Du Bois asked the question at the turn of the century, how does it feel to be the problem? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And clearly that problem has ex expanded to not just include black people, but it's people of color, it's people who speak a foreign language, it's people who wear a turban, it's people who call God by Allah, right? So they're all problems. And <laughs> unfortunately, it's another day in America. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when right. we look at this, I'm thinking about it in the context of the things that have been going on the last... 48 hours. We saw Mike right. Pompeo saying that the United States is now looking into getting into a conversation about what constitutes a human right. Human right, right. Uh, today, just before we went on the air, Trump was in the uh, called a press conference and trotted out Bill Barr mm -hmm. to talk about ways to get around adding the citizenship census, question right. to the census. census yeah. I mean, all of these conversations that these two women clearly are caught up in, in some ways, in terms of the cultural gesture, mm -hmm. speak to this ability they think they have to right. define who's it, an American. It, it, it what, always what speaks to the privilege they had. Uh, they had, had, you said. Absolutely. I don't have it anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> we know that the country is turning. Right. 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 And they are fearful of that. So right? they're not crazy. They're scared. And so they're, they're absolutely scared. scared. White you people are scared. They're, they're scared and they're crazy. Scared and crazy. <laughs> but things that we are afraid of drive us. But what's the fear? The Pro fear is I know. What are we going to do to them? <laughs> the fear is, we're not going to do anything with it. Right. But, Where's but the history that we ever we did? We want anything. our own citizenship. We want our own rights. We want, what is the, what's the Constitution say? Liberty, peace, happiness, justice, pursuit of happiness. No, maybe I should right. say we could. I'm so, thinking, what about the, our Spanish-speaking kin here in this, in this country? Because I'm thinking now about the Contra Trumps a few years ago right. when they wanted folks to sing the so-called national anthem mm -hmm. in English and not Spanish. Spanish. They were singing it in Spanish, right. and it bothered them. First right. of all, why are you singing about Fort McHenry in right. Spanish in the first place? But let's set that aside. You're demonstrating patriotism. Is there something about immigrants from the Spanish-speaking community? Well, I shouldn't say immigrants, because some of these folks, the border crossed them. They didn't mm -hmm. cross the border. They've been exactly. here 500 years. Exactly. But what is it about Spanish-speaking countries that has triggered this kind of... Because we're seeing this over and over again. Brother. But the thing is, Dr. Carr, it's not just Spanish-speaking countries. It's people are scared of the other. Anybody or anything that they are not familiar with, that they feel is intruding on their space, and that's the problem here. They're, in their psyche, it's a psychosis, they feel as though Spanish speakers, Arabs, Muslims, black people, etc., are impeding on their country. Hence, make America great again. Right. Right? So it's this narrative. Trump is the catalyst for all of this to take place. He's we peeled see, it back. Uh, it was right. there, but he's given it. He's always been there. Let's be very goodness, clear. But he's fueling goodness, this. And we see this playing out with older 
white women. And the, the manager was, he was even a Mexican. He, he was Puerto Rican. Yes. He is a United States citizen. So again, it's, it's the ignorance and it's the fear that is driving them to be crazy. Well, Cotricos Driscoll, um, who is uh, one of our regular panelists, thank you, brother, for riding with us tonight. Uh, we've had, we had a little bit of signal difficulty, so we were able, able to be joined by uh, Brother Roland for uh, the plurality of the show. Um, tomorrow night, of course, same time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard, you'll be able to tune in and bring the front. Uh, tonight, the, actually, the National Black United Front is beginning its conference here in Washington, D.C. So go online and check out NBUFF. They've been around about 40 years in this reparations conference, among other things. Uh, I'm Greg Carr, sitting in this very big seat. And tune in tomorrow night for Brother Roland. And in the interim, if you're going to watch this show again, of course, watch it on all the digital platforms. And don't forget, support Roland Martin Unfiltered. This is black media, unfiltered, and you'll get it nowhere else. So with that, as Roland would say, holla. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.